1: Let's go to the Comic Book Lounge with Mindy and Mark. We're on the road to Dark Crisis. There's a new Two-Face, a very bad staff meeting, meet Bowtie Guy, Pearl Returns for more Yazuka fun, there's Trouble Outside Bubble City, and we check out the reference library. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, June nineteenth, 2022. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com. Get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher where you can leave us a review.
1: You can email SF Podcast Network at gmail.com, like us at facebookcom SFPPN, follow us on Twitter at SFPPN, check out Instagram at SF Pod Network, or call us at 614 321 9737. That's 614 321 9SFP. Justice League, Road to Dark Crisis Number 1 by Williamson, Jurgens, Adams, Campy, Brown, Osio, Johnson, DeLuca, Phillips, and Henry. I need to note at the start that we're not buying the Dark Crisis event at D.C.
2: I have to say, Mark, thank goodness. I was afraid you'd changed your mind.
1: We've been burned too many times, forced to collect 50 side issues, before the whole thing is forgotten by D.C. six months later but I did buy this intro due to the art more than the actual story. This is a set of short stories that takes us from the death of the Justice League to the main event. Team Up features John Kent and Nightwing, both of whom are dealing with the death of their fathers, whether adopted or not. John is making plans to handle the Dark Army, while Dick puts up a front that the League will return soon with a reference to Superman's original funeral. What's interesting here is that John is talking to Dick and not Damien about all this. John's rapid aging has placed him closer to Dick Grayson. I'm very much reminded of the 70s Super Sun stories. Life of Purpose features Wally
2: and Wallace, the black kid Flash, who have already been dealing with Barry's disappearance from months ago. Now with the league gone, Wally is going to play whack-a-mole against all the villains coming out of the woodwork. Wallace gives him a hand. Wally is putting on a brave face, but breaks down when he stops at the Flash Museum. Survivors features Hal Jordan and Jackson Hyde, one of the new Aqua Lads, with the former arriving on Earth to stop an alien invasion, only to learn of the League's death. He and Jackson team up to break the invader away from an infestation causing him to attack.
1: The Pariah features, as you would guess, Pariah. He arrives on a world where his family still exists, but he rejects them as the only reason he was sent there was to watch the world end. He rejects the rebuilding the machine to save them, only to be taken in by the great darkness. Yada, yada, yada. Because The Night features Spoiler who tries to stop Nocturna from stealing a necklace, it turns into a heart-to-heart about the loss of Batman. Batman. And at the end, Firefly gives Nocturna an offer to join a new secret society of villains. The stories were decent, but none of it can justify investing in the next crisis. Flashpoint Beyond, number two of
2: six by Johns Adams, Sherrod Kahn, Zermanico, Jannin, Harder Jr., and Belair. We start with yet another evidence board, this one about the Time Traveler murders. There's a set of characters that, on other Earths, are time travelers. Here, they're just ordinary people. Nathaniel Adam, Captain Adam, here a 92 year old man. The Lord of Time, here an unnamed man who was institutionalized. Percival Sutter, Dr. Time, here a petty thief. Matthew Ryder, Epoch, and now Barry Allen are also in the mix. Thomas Wayne realizes he's too reckless, not methodical like his son. He checks back with Oswald, who tells him his fortune is being threatened by the destruction of the casino. Also, Harvey Dent's orphan son wants to learn about explosives.
1: Thomas visits the casino site and learns that Roger Hayden, Psycho Pirate, knows that Bruce should be Batman. He breaks into Arkham only to find Hayden dead, having hanged himself. He then talks to Gilda Dent in the next cell. He wants to know how Hayden died. She wants to know why he took her boy. There's a long discussion, and then Gilda beats her head against the door until she becomes a new Two-Face. Pain is real. Pain matters. Sometimes it's the only thing that does. My pain, hers, and yours, Batman. Back into the city, Thomas comes upon a gang robbing a girl. Based on their outfits, they are clearly the non-powered rogues of what would be the Flash. Thomas is about to shoot Boomerang, saying nothing matters, before Cal flies in, saying everything matters. Back on Earth-Zero, Rip Hunter's sidekick continues to warn Bruce of what's coming. While there's no one left who would be looking for Janie Slater's watch, somebody definitely is coming to find the snow globe, which is drenched in tachyons. If Rip and his team don't arrive soon, boy are you going to be sorry about the whole darn thing. It's great to read a story that can be read on its own, although an encyclopedic knowledge of D.C. history doesn't hurt.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Captain Carter number three from Marvel by McKelvey, Cresta, Milla, and Cowles. In an alternate universe where Peggy Carter gets the super soldier serum and now finds herself in 2022 U.K. Lizzie Braddock is attacked in her apartment and has to use the sight lock power to defend herself. She goes to Peggy for help, who proceeds to stash her in a neighbor's apartment. The attackers were from Stripe. Said neighbor also happens to be a hacker who goes to work to determine who handed out the guns. Peggy puts a flash drive in her boss's PC, only for him to drop by. She's called to a staff meeting. The meeting is filled with assassins and she has to find her way out. In the lobby, she meets Anthony Stark, who has heard about her from his grandfather, Howard. He's trying to pick her up. She demurs as she's tracking a blonde assailant. Meanwhile, the hacker has determined that a member of Lizzie's squad provided the guns and that a voicemail was left by the prime minister, Harry. Oh, and photos of Harry from college all seem to be photoshopped. The blonde is told by her driver that they're being tailed, and Peggy is guided into a trap. Anthony, wearing jet boots, saves her from a missile and the two prepare for a squad coming at them. Now, Mark, referring to what you said about being able to read a comic without knowing anything about other things, but having to know a deep DC history, do you think we're missing a lot of things because we don't have a deep Marvel history here?
1: Yes, yes, I think we are.
2: And yet it's still a very good comic.
1: It works on its own. Yes. Guilt number three from Ahoy Comics by Quitney and Morissette. The adventures of the Guild of Independent Lady Temporalists continues. In 1973, a young female air traffic controller sees a Pan Am flight disappear from her screen, while a male coworker hits on her and then belittles her. In 2017, the same controller happens to remember that day just as the plane reappears. Back to 1973, we get a parody of an airport movie with plans being made to find the plane. Hildy's friends are concerned that she might be responsible for the plane's disappearance. A man in a blue suit and bow tie is finishing a call when a young man behind him tells him to wrap it up. The bow tie man stares at him and he instantly becomes middle-aged. The man introduces himself to Hildy, handing her a letter, states they will know each other in the future, and then blows a mystical whistle to save her from the time paradox, which does nothing. Her friend Vera is very upset, and we get flashbacks of their long friendship, or is it something more? By 1993, Hildy has married Mr. Man, and Vera has walked away from her. Hilde's other friend reads the letter, which is an eviction notice for breaking time travel rules, with an option to evict you from your past.
2: Back to 2017, and the plane is coming in for a landing. The instruments are going nuts, and the airport seems very different. Back to 1973. The cult leader is making a phone call while his son and Trista are trying to figure out what happened to the plane. He explains that it fell through a tear in the space continuum, which happens all the time. We see it happen to a pigeon who falls into 1929 only to be hit by a kid with a slingshot and then drops back to 1973, dead. Back in 1929, a couple, Dorothy and the CW, are trading barbs. This is probably a reference to the Algonquin Roundtable. They go over to the kid with a slingshot and ask him to deliver a note to the same spot in 44 years. CW does the staring thing and the kid agrees. Back to 1973, where cult leader and Trista's mom are looking for her, and Bowtie Guy arrives to help. A homeless man saw where the kid went and hands a note to Bowtie Guy. The homeless man demands to know what it means. He spent his whole life trying to figure it out. He's told, in layman's terms, it states that a chronological disturbance has occurred that could be self-reinforcing.
1: Meanwhile, the kids have gone to his dad's apartment. Trista remembers that she met the boy back in her original timeline. They hung out while her mom was there for cult training, and they may have dated. The adults run in, assuming the worst. The boy is disgusted. She's only a kid. Trista is also disgusted. She's 53 years old. Bowtie tries to take Trista away, trying to fix the time damage, but Trista's mom belts him. Back at the airport, Vera is going off to find out what happened to the plane, but Hilda wants to know why they will stop being friends in the future. Vera has no time for this and storms off. Back in the plane, they see fighter jets demanding identification as they are in restricted airspace. The pilot has a heart attack, and the co-pilot, who is the pilot's lover, attends to him, leaving a stewardess at the controls.
2: This is really all over the place, but it's pretty good. mm mm-hmm. Pearl, number one, from Dark Horse by Bendis and Gatus. Pearl was one of many titles that came out of Brian Michael Bendis' Jinx World imprint, part of the agreement to get him to come to D.C. Now with Bendis' time at D.C. mostly complete, we still need the rest of Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes. He's taken Jinx World to Dark Horse. Pearl is about a young woman in San Francisco working as a tattoo artist who learned she was born to the Yazooka. Now she does assassinations on the side. The new volume gives you zero info to bring you up to speed. Bendis assumes you went back and reread the series from 2018.
1: Special agents are investigating the destruction of an all-purpose pornography mall blown to smithereens apparently by the ghost dragon, who we know as Pearl. The agents, one of whom's parents was murdered by the Yuzuka, are there to make an example out of her. Back at the tattoo shop, Pearl and her co-workers slash Yuzuka clan are shooting the breeze. The owners of the ex-porn mall are there to renegotiate terms. Pearl's mother set them up, and he thinks they are unreasonable. Pearl stares at him. Do her tattoos have some sort of mind control power, or is she just alpha-dogging him? And he quickly relents. In a flashback, an old high school friend meets Pearl to get a job as an enforcer. Back to current day, Pearl's dad calls her from Japan. The head of the Yuzuka is not happy with her and tells her she is in real trouble. On their way home, there's an assassination attempt.
2: Justice Warriors Number 1 from Ahoy Comics by Boris Clarkson and Sobriero. We're interested in whatever Ahoy brings out, and this is one of those dystopian future commentary on modern life tales. In Bubble City, a city literally under a bubble, things are great. No crime, equality, prosperity, and diversity. Unfortunately, the cost of all this is a huge slum outside the protective bubble, the uninhabited zone where life is cheap. Bubble City PD patrols the place trying to keep order. Either this is a future with aliens or one with massive genetic options as many of the people are human-animal hybrids. We join the cops on a raid at a UZ club with one of the cops, a fish face, running late. He stopped at a taco truck. There are people controlled by starfish on their heads and they battle the cops with the only human-looking cop taken out in the line of duty.
1: Local news refers to this as issues with mutants and quickly moves on. The police department is told to resolve this ASAP. Cops attend the slain officer's funeral with embedded ads for bubble drink. A supercut of the officer's badge cam beatings is shown and everyone agrees it was a beautiful service. The commissioner wants to see more social media likes and tells the fish face to fix it. He's assigned a new partner, which looks and smells like a pile of poo. Meanwhile, the mayor, who's also a pop star, is mad his new album isn't selling. His handlers blame the economy, but a techno-rat has an idea. Have the city buy back used copies at twice the price, which will increase their perceived value as collectibles. Cops, including our heroes, are sent to a store to keep the potential customers controlled. There's a panic, and Fishface is shot, leaving Pooh on his own.
2: Since we're seeing fewer and fewer comics lately, Mainstream DC is basically out for now. Let's take a look at the books about comic books in our reference library. In the days before you could look up anything using the internet in your pocket, we purchased a lot of reference books at a local secondhand shop. Hi, bookloft in German Village. One of them was The Comic Book, The One Essential Guide for Comic Book Fans Everywhere by Paul Seseni. I guess, in Chartwell Books in 1994. Sassiani, at least at the time, had one of the finest comic collections in Europe and was an advisor to the Overstreet Guide.
1: The book is fairly straightforward. A history of comics broken out by the various ages, the early days, normally referred to as the Platinum Age, Golden Age, 1938 to 45, post-Golden Age, 45 to 50, pre-Silver Age, 50 to 56, Silver Age 56 to 69, Post Silver Age 70 to 80 normally referred to as the Bronze Age, a new era 1981 to 89 and the 1990s. There's a good focus on British comics which you normally don't see. We have how to grade, store and assess comics, much of this is out of date, how to buy and sell comics, a section on comic art and animation cells and a trivia quiz, and there's lots of artwork throughout. The second half of the book is true reference material: exhaustive tables of creators, terms, titles, and publishers. It's a book of its time. The front cover features the Amazing Spider-Man number one, while the back shows Defiance Warriors of Plasm number one, a slightly less monumental title. Ironically, a concern over the name of the latter book would lead to a court case against Marvel, which led to Defiance later collapse. A quick check online confirms the comic book has little value as a collectible today, likely due to the reference data being so out of date. Plus, my copy is in poor condition at best.
2: These and many other interesting books are available at your local library and bookstore. Visit them. They'll be happy to help you read more about it. We lost another master comic book artist this week. Tim Sale passed at age 66. His dark, moody work is best remembered for his collaborations with writer Jeff Loeb. DC's Batman The Long Halloween, Batman Dark Victory, Superman For All Seasons, Catwoman When in Rome, Superman Confidential, and Marvel's Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, and Hulk Gray. Sale and Loeb were producers on NBC's Hero, and his artwork is seen
0: throughout. Call us at 614 That's 614 sfp Back to you, Mark.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye-bye.